Welcome to the Dr. Heidi Podcast, coming to you from Carver, Massachusetts. From personal to business and everything in between, Dr. Heidi touches on it all. Each episode draws on her experience from the classroom to the real world, helping individuals and organizations grow to their fullest potential. To keep up to date and be a part of Dr. Heidi's community, be sure to follow Dr. Heidi on Instagram at Heidi Gregory Mina. Now, here's your host, Dr. Heidi. Today we have with us Julia Nipini from Compassionate Counseling Company. Welcome, Julia. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Excellent. We're very excited. Julia has some very exciting things that I think she's going to be sharing with you guys. And I think it's a very timely topic. We're going to be covering a lot of things around stress and burnout. Um, and I think that you guys will appreciate some of the advice that she has for us today. Um, Julia, why don't you just begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your company? Sure. I'm a clinical and forensic social worker, and I started my own practice, Compassionate Counseling, in 2017. So we've grown to a practice of 16 clinicians, and we added an administrative assistant, a biller, a human resource consultant. So we've grown a lot. And out of that experience of starting my own practice and expanding, I also have become a private practice consultant. So I help other clinicians do the same. That's amazing work. And I mean, I know just from listening to people and talking to people that this is a much needed field. It's a growing field. And also personally, probably an overwork field, just like a lot of people are feeling. Um, you know, one of the trends that we saw was, you know, there's pre-COVID, right? So back before 2020, um, then COVID kind of hit, the uncertainty came in, people didn't know what was really going to be happening. Some people were faced with too much work, no work, suddenly shuffled home, you know, every a lot of turmoil things happened. And then for what it was almost two years that people kind of lived in that state of uncertainty. And now we're in what we refer to as kind of like the new normal. Have you seen, you know, during pre-COVID to now, the new new normal, we'll call it, do you see an increase in people who are experiencing stress symptoms leading to burnout? Um, and how have you seen that sort of transition kind of happening? I think people are more open to having the conversation. And I think the pandemic normalized a lot of those symptoms of anxiety and depression. So even individuals who don't necessarily formally have that diagnosis, we could all relate to what it feels like to live in uncertainty and feel anxious as a result, or to experience maybe some depressive symptoms because we're not able to do the things that we typically could to get out and be social or to just be immersed in the world. So I see it more as a topic and people being more open to that discussion and what they can do to combat it. And I also see it showing up in different ways because we've had this opportunity to redefine work in a lot of ways, a lot more autonomy and flexibility and a lot of people doing a hybrid model or staying virtual and working from their home and what that can look like and how that can even still affect burnout and make work-life balance even harder. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, while there is a great benefit and asset to people having that fle added flexibility, whether it be the hybrid model or the virtual model, we still have to recognize what did that give us? It might have given us commute time, you know, all that extra kind of time. But what did we fill that time with? 
laundry, extra work, shuffling the kids, maybe another activity for the kids, you know, and now we're trying to balance this, that and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can feel like maybe we've taken on more even than we ever did before, because now we have gained back a little bit of that time. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see that. Yeah. And people also maybe reevaluating, were they as happy as they thought they were? Mm. And do they want maybe different things? And when you're talking about filling time, I mean, I, I know for myself, just different projects. And I think the virtual world has opened up so many more opportunities to really expand what we do and our reach. So yeah, there are more opportunities than ever. So I think it's all the more important to really pause and reflect yeah. about where we truly want to spend our time and what we want to do with all of these new opportunities. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I, I reflect back onto a period of my career when I worked at Boston Medical Center, and it was a very high stress job. And in during that period of my life, I did not recognize the stress signals as well as I should have. And it ultimately led to a situation of burnout, which really manifested into physical symptoms. And I had to take a period of time off work just so I could kind of sit back and do exactly what you just said, reflect and ask myself, where do I want to be? Where am I going? How do I kind of right the ship and turn things around a little Mm -hmm. bit? And I knew I wanted to get into higher education. That's kind of what opened that door and led towards that. And I started making my transitional moves over into that. And it was funny that I bumped into somebody after I moved into the educational field. And it was somebody I'd worked with for many years at the medical center. And I was having lunch and she walked by and she walked right past me. And I said, hey, stranger, you're just going to ignore me. And she stopped and she was, oh, hi, I didn't even recognize you. And I'm like, well, I haven't changed that much. And she goes, you just, no, you just look so much happier. And it was just such, I mean, it was great to hear because I knew then, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm in a better place. But I'm like, wow, I'm like, did I really get sucked into all the negative talk at work and all that kind of environment and things that were happening? We were, you know, the culture was changing a little bit too because the hospital at that time was having financial struggles. So, you know, when that happens, you know, there's a lot of culture changes. People were leaving and coming and it, it was just a mess at that time. And so I was definitely on that right path. And, you know, I've also had another point of reflection just recently. And I think it was due to the pandemic of kind of thinking, and also probably the birth of my daughter three years ago. So that that's mm-hmm. a big life change. So I think anytime life changes happens, it really makes you think. But this time I took a much different approach. I reflected much earlier on, saw the signals and said, okay, well, how do I want things to shape up? Where do I want the next, you know, 10 years to be? What do I want things to look like? Mm. And how do I make those steps to go do that? And so I'm wondering, like, what sort of advice do you have for people to recognize those stress factors? What are those, what are those things Mm. that they should be looking out for? Um, And if you could just maybe share just a couple of those that, you know, just something quick that they could just kind of be like, oh, that could possibly be a trigger or something I should be watching for. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that the listeners can also really appreciate it normalizes it. I don't know about you, but for me, there can be a lot of emotion tied to kind of experiencing Mm -hmm. that, especially when it creeps up on you. Mm -hmm. And so especially those of us that are really high achievers and maybe multi-passionates, it is definitely something that is a possibility for us. And I think recognizing the early signs are helpful. And I'm happy to hear that you've been able to do that. I think it gives hope to people that, you know, you really can prevent that kind of 
massive, you know, it kind of catches you by surprise. And we all like things that we can kind of predict and have some sort of control over. So I think the key is maybe the best analogy I would use is experiencing a panic attack. So even if you've never experienced one, we can all kind of imagine what that's like when we're struggling to breathe and our heart's racing and we don't necessarily really know what's going on, but it's this buildup over time. And we don't necessarily always know those specific triggers. And it's almost like that pot on the stove that's getting ready to boil over. And what I've done a lot with clients in therapy is exactly what you're describing. It's this increased awareness, not only physiologically, but increased awareness emotionally. And the biggest one for me in terms of burnout is negativity. People who maybe are calling out sick more often are maybe not as participatory in work events, their productivity starts to decline. There's just this attitude shift. And that's usually where it starts. Mm -hmm. And then I think from there, if it's not addressed or if it's not recognized by that individual or by the organization, then it can sometimes spread and expand and manifest in different ways. So that's one piece. I think beyond that, it's similar to some other things like your sleep starts to change. You maybe are struggling to fall asleep or you're waking up frequently, or you're always exhausted, no matter how much sleep you get any of the above. It can be changes in your appetite. It can be mood shifts. You're more irritable, or you might find that you come home from work and you're more likely to take that on, on your family. So I think when you start to recognize those signs, if you have a supportive work environment, it can be really helpful to reach out to a colleague, reach out to your supervisor, someone in management, and kind of check in to see if there are any adjustments that can be made to your workload or to your schedule, or maybe even just some guidance in terms of how to manage those tasks. But then I also think beyond that, that's why we talk about work-life balance being so important because it is really essential for us to know what it is that recharges us, what calms us down, what relaxes us. And it's going to be different for everyone. I believe that we can all benefit from physical activity and moving our body, but that can be anything from taking a walk to stretching, to CrossFit, to joining a gym. There really are so many opportunities. So I think it's also getting really clear on what it is that actually affects you in a positive way, boosts your mood, and kind of brings your stress level down. I'll say mine was dog agility. <laughs> There's a real oddity out in the group. So <laughs> I went into agility with my dog and that I, I can just tell you, you're right. Moving your body, just kind of being a team with her and just doing it prior to that when I was um, in high school up through college, it was tennis. Mm -hmm. um, and then while I was in school, it kind of fell away and I didn't really have that. And then I went to dog agility. So yeah, that, that, that could also be on the list if anyone has a dog and is interested in something. Yes, let's add it. Um, but you know, what you talked about there about talking to your employer and kind of bringing that to your managers and leaders, I see that almost as a double-edged sword for some people. And I know through my consultancy work and going into businesses and talking to employees, some of the, some of the things that I hear um, are either A, they don't feel that their leader manager is approachable enough to reach that subject with them. Mm -hmm. Or two, they do feel like they can have that conversation, but they feel that it won't 
go anywhere, mm -hmm. um, that it's just going to fall kind of on deaf ears that yes, they might be a little bit empathetic, but that they don't really have the ability to change anything. And then I hear the third school of thought that has more emerged recently that employees are almost demanding of their employers to provide these type of services, whether it be in-house or whether they go somewhere, but as kind of like a mental health benefit that they should be providing mm -hmm. sub something for them, some sort of internal support structure. Okay. Um, and I'm just curious what your thoughts are about that. Mm -hmm. um, are these fair assumptions for employees to be asking for? Is this feasible for managers and leaders to be doing? So I, I'm curious of what your thoughts are behind that. Hmm. So I think there are nuances depending on what field you're in. And mm -hmm. I can't claim to know everything for every scenario, but I would right. say there are some general rules of thumb. And I've noticed similar to what you're describing, where I now have a newfound respect for every previous supervisor, manager, leader that I ever had. Being in this position, owning a practice, being the boss to the number of people that I am, that is a responsibility that I don't take lightly. And there is so much to it that goes on behind the scenes that no one will ever fully understand unless you're in that situation. Mm -hmm. So I now look back and I have so much more appreciation for the times when maybe I brought something to a higher up's attention and I had no idea what meeting they just got out of or what phone call they just got off of or what was going on behind the scenes. That doesn't mean that it's not still worthwhile in certain situations to bring that up. But I truly believe it should be weaved in to the model. So mm -hmm. what we're doing at Compassionate Counseling Company is client satisfaction surveys that we're administering on a consistent basis. So we're getting ongoing feedback from clients, not only when they discharge, but even throughout treatment, are they finding it effective? And everything from their initial contact with our administrative assistant, the office, the technology, but then are they actually implementing the skills that their therapist mm -hmm. is suggesting? Do they feel like they were paired with the right clinician? Would they recommend this practice to a friend? And then we expanded that to clinician satisfaction surveys, where I genuinely, as hard as it can be sometimes, want their feedback. So right from the beginning, I had started regular monthly check-ins with every employee to provide that opportunity. But then I also realized that as transparent and as much as you can provide that, it's still not always the most comfortable for everyone. And not everyone will utilize that or be truly honest or take that moment to pause and really be honest with themselves about their experience. So I felt like this survey was an additional component. When we do reviews, we have clinicians rate themselves and rate their supervisor in addition to the supervisor rating them. And then we have a human resource consultant, like I mentioned, that is going to be meeting on regular intervals to go over these survey responses. And then we're going to be... Uh, posting a job description of a care coordinator and interviewing throughout the team so that we can have that follow through that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So with what comes out of these surveys, I don't want it to fall on deaf ears and people to feel like I shared this and then what became of it. Mm -hmm. I actually want to form a team and have a point person that's going to help us make those changes within the practice so that the clinicians that I'm doing everything I can and we're doing everything we can to provide a positive work environment Obviously, it still may not work for everyone, but I feel like we're exploring all of those avenues. <laughs> and, and I think that's fantastic that you're doing that because that is actually something I talk to a lot of businesses about doing is making sure. Um, I actually like to refer to them as employee engagement surveys, further 
rather than employee satisfaction surveys. Because mm. let's face it, anyone can be just satisfied with their jobs, right? Like I come in, I clock in. Yeah, I, I do a fine job. It's fine, whatever. Um, what I really want from an employee is to feel like they're part of the team. They're passionate about the work that they're doing. They mm -hmm. feel like they're can talk to their supervisors, their colleagues, anybody in there. Um, I want that level of engagement. And I feel that, you know, HR can follow from even a statistical standpoint, can see trends and changes in employee behavior, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, absenteeism is one big sign coming, um, you know, in late to work, utilizing sick time where they haven't utilized sick time before. Um, those are all, we might not know what's going on, but those are all triggers that, something is changing even just managers should be able to see it and maybe an employee's productivity their work maybe an employee who was engaged before now is a little less engaged mm -hmm. um, what sort of advice would you have for a manager or a leader or even an hr representative who sees mm -hmm. trends like that and feels okay i need to take that step i need mm -hmm. to cross that line and try to engage with the employee but, you know, there's also concerns about how far can we ask questions? You know, everyone's always wondering, it's like, I don't want to ask something that I'm not legally allowed to ask. Yes. Um, but I also want to try to open up a path of dialogue to let them know we see that something's changed, but we're not upset with you. Mm -hmm. We want to have a we want to have a conversation. And mm -hmm. is there is there some sort of dialogue? Is there something that they can do or some advice for that, that they could try to have that conversation? I think that's a great question. So first and foremost, I think if you are weaving into your process, these opportunities, checkpoints, uh, engagement surveys, that's an opportunity. And you're already, I think, speaking volumes about the fact that you value feedback, mm -hmm. that there is this effort being put into change. But I think in addition to that, a lot of people can feel really uncomfortable having those conversations. And if they're not approached directly, you never want to say the wrong thing or put someone mm -hmm. in an uncomfortable spot. What I would lead with is exactly that. Hey, this is what I've noticed. So keep it fact-based at the outset mm -hmm. and that I'm coming from a place of genuinely caring about you as a person. And obviously you don't have to share anything personal if you don't want to, but I, I just, this was a shift. This was a change. And I just wanted to check in because I care and see if there's anything that I can do to help or if I can support you in any way. And providing that opportunity can sometimes open the dialogue. I mean, I think you even were example an example of that today. I think vulnerability leads mm -hmm. to more vulnerability. Brene yep. Brown has shown us that. And so if there is an appropriate opportunity, depending on the dynamic between the two individuals, if it's another colleague, I think sometimes maybe even sharing some challenges that they may have had can open up that dialogue even more. But I think sometimes just coming from a place of compassion and seeing where that goes. I think that's fantastic advice. And I mean, like I said, I think that is the biggest challenge for a lot of people is just, I think once the ice is broken, so to say, then it's much easier to have that dialogue and continue to have that dialogue and that check-in. But I think it's making that first, whether it be the employee making that step mm -hmm. or whether it be the manager, leader, HR, whoever is going to be the person in that role for your company to make that step towards the employee. Yeah. But one way or the other, somebody's going to make a step in one direction, right? Otherwise, sure. you know, it's really impossible to fix something. Um, you know, is there any last bit of advice or anything I haven't asked you about that you're just dying to share with the audience <laughs> that you think that, you know, that they could really benefit from? 
Well, one other piece that just goes in line with what we're already talking about is I am not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but knowing my type and really embracing that. So I'm a reformer, perfectionist, Enneagram one. So for me, putting others over self and not necessarily always being as honest about what's going on behind the scenes is how I operate. And so when I started to be more honest and not in a complaining sense, but more so sharing, especially with my leadership team, more of the reality of what's going on and making it very clear that they don't have to own any of it. It is my responsibility to tackle it. And I have those supports in place to do that. But the more I shared, the more I found them doing the same and being honest. And I think seeing me in a more realistic light. And even though I think I may portray that I have everything together, that in all reality, I'm human like everyone else, and we can all falter sometimes. So that's been a really beautiful experience and mm-hmm. one that I for a long time resisted for a variety of reasons. And the more open, the stronger, deeper the relationships, and the more I can embrace every aspect of that spectrum because it really does vary from day to day. So, and I think that's amazing. I don't know about that particular one, but I know there's been a a very large shift in the workplace, especially in hiring processes that we are no longer just looking at technical skills. We are evaluating people skills. So hiring the people (laughs) that are actually going to have the personality to fit the culture, to fit the team, as well as the technical skills. And there's a great emphasis being placed on it. And so there's a lot of assessments that we do use in the business world, Mm -hmm. Um, personality assessments, technical assessments, you know, you name it. There's a lot of them. People do question, you know, Oh, are they really valid? Are they really, really reliable? These have all been te- the tools that we're suggesting to use are all tested, reliable. This mm-hmm. research been done on them. Um, but there's another school of thought, and that's where it kind of goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. I am a proponent of the assessments. I think it's great. I don't think it puts people in a box. I just think it helps us understand them a little bit better, understand where they're coming from. And that way we can have a conversation with them. So one great example that I I can talk to is the idea of an introvert versus an extrovert. Mm -hmm. I hear so many times people saying, I can't do this because I'm an introvert or I'm great at this because I'm an extrovert. And, um, And I mean, let's face reality. People don't talk like that. They're more saying, I'm shy. I like to be more reserved. I'm more outgoing. Mm-hmm. But those are those are the technical terms that we're really talking about. And what I don't like about it is I like them to tell me that they're an introvert. So I kind of know what their personality and kind of background is like. But that never, for me, puts them in a box. Mm-hmm. But they themselves put themselves in this type of box. So I try to have that dialogue like, no, no, no. Just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you can't do these things. What Absolutely. you need to understand is where your energy source comes from and how you set yourself up for success differently than mm-hmm. someone else who sets themselves up for success. Um, and it's a conversation I have all the time with my mm-hmm. students because in my organizational behavior courses, we take a few of these assessments just so students can kind of see where they are and understand and understand what these are. And we get into this debate and they'll always say, professor, you're an extrovert, aren't you? And I'm like, absolutely not. I am the biggest introvert doing extroverted behaviors. <laughs> that's always my answer. And they're like, no, you're kidding with us. I'm like, no, I really am. And mm-hmm. they don't believe me. And I'm like, here's my my 
test results. And I said, I am absolutely an introvert. And I said, so I don't, I love assessments because I think they're really great in terms of gaining that understanding that you're talking about. But it's also that mindset of don't put yourself in that box, understand that box. Agreed. And I think it can really expedite the process Mm -hmm. of getting to know another person and what motivates them and what drives them. But just like anything else, it's a tool. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to use it to limit us. I think it's more, we can get beneath the surface quicker. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's fantastic. Well, Julia, your insights have been so helpful. And I think extremely timely for a lot of people and a lot of people who are going to be listening to this. Um, If they want to reach out to you and learn more, or maybe use some of your services, what is the best way for them to reach you? Compassionate consultingcompany.com is the best place to go. So that is where you can learn more about the consulting work that I do and also listen to the podcast that I just started, The Compassionate Climb. So that is where we focus on being successful in business while maintaining integrity. And we have asked the expert segments, live consulting calls about starting and expanding a business. And we discuss all things business and mental health. And then compassionate counseling. If anyone is in Massachusetts or Rhode Island and seeking services, it's compassionate counseling company.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Julia. We so appreciate your time today and coming on with us. Thank you. I appreciate having the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dr. Heidi podcast. Follow us on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. To join Dr. Heidi's community, visit her website at drheidigregorymina.com for additional information on your personal development and business needs. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll catch you in the next episode.